You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present our program, Carmelite Spirituality Conversations, with Francis Harry. Well, hello. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. I hope you're still celebrating Christmas. All the Catholics still celebrate it through the Epiphany, right? Um, and the baptism of the Lord. So I hope you're celebrating. Um, we are here um, on Radio Maria um, with Carmelite Conversations. I'm Francis Harry, uh, Secular Discount Carmelite. I'm going to be hosting the program tonight. My normal co-host, Mark, is not able to be with me, but I do have a guest. So we're going to have a great conversation, and um, I think it's going to be a great topic because we're going to discuss the Christmas grace and epiphany of St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. You know, today, January 2nd, is her birthday, and she's 134 years old today. Wow. <laughs> and she uh, she got a parade of roses. <laughs> I saw it on TV. <laughs> All right. Well, so much for football, right? Uh, but as with every program, uh, before I introduce my guests, I would like to uh, begin our program with prayer. And this comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, which I think is a very appropriate prayer for our conversation. So let's get recollected and look to... Christ present within our hearts and our souls. And let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blemish before him. In love he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, in accord with the favor of his will, for the praise of the glory of his grace that he granted us in the beloved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, if any of our listeners want to join in on this great conversation, um, or you have a comment, a question, um, you can call us toll-free. It's really easy to reach our operator at one 6279 Again, that's 866-333-6279. Now, my guest, Marika Zimmerman, has been a guest on Carmelite Conversations many times. She's uh, a wife, a mother of two children, all grown up, beautiful children, um, whom she homeschooled, so I give her a lot of credit for that. She was in the Air Force a number of years, and she is a professed secular discount Carmelite, and I'm so glad to have her back with me. Welcome, Marika. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Glad you're <laughs> Happy New Year, Mary. How are you? you? I'm doing wonderful, and we don't have a lot of snow right now, so the weather is good, so it was easy to drive here. Um, just, you know, there's this, this joyful air of hope and expectation in this year of 2017. I'm just looking forward to all that God's going to be doing with Carmelite Conversations and the Dayton area, so I'm just real excited. And Radio Maria. <laughs> we thank God for Radio Maria, too. So, well, today is Therese's birthday. And how did you celebrate? Oh, I went to Mass, and we shared about Therese after Mass. Um, there was a little group of us, and um, just, you know, the little things that God gives us, we just... we. Pass it along. We don't keep it to ourselves. Well, one of her famous quotes is, all is grace. And I kept pondering that today. All is grace. And we're going to talk about one of the most potent graces in her life, one that she named herself as the grace of her conversion. And it occurred on Christmas Eve from December 24th, 25th. She went to Midnight Mass. Um, this was in the year 18. 18- 86. She's only 13 years old, almost 14, because <laughs> her birthday's January 2nd. Um, but we're going to jump into the details of, of the Christmas event, and it's all about the Christmas shoes. So you, a lot of you know this story. You've read Story of a Soul, and we're going to use Therese's own writing from Story of the Soul um, and uh, discuss this thing. So let's just set the stage now um, for the Christmas grace of 18. 18- 86, which, you know, this was her early birthday present. So, um, Marika, could you kind of give us a little uh, foundation of, of where we're pulling our information from? Okay, the, this is taken from the story of the soul. Um, I have the, the translation by John C. Clark, and it's the study edition. Uh, it was prepared by Father Mark Foley, OCD. And um, so we're going to be kind of looking at the section Manuscript A, Right. Um, and it, it's uh, in that book, uh, pages 152 to 153. So if you have that book, 
I encourage you to pull it out, highlight right. it, mark it. <laughs> it's from ICS Publications. It's Correct. a beautiful study guide. And, you know, um, when she is writing this manuscript A, she it's, it's in about 1895. So it's about two and a half years before her death. And her blood sister, who happens to be Mother Agnes, um, her blood sister name is Pauline. Um, well, Mother Agnes, also Pauline, was the prioress of Carmel at the time. And um, Trez has been at the convent since age 15, and they're telling uh, each other tales from their childhood. And guess what? (laughs) Trez was ordered to write her childhood memories down. And it took her about a year to write it. Now, what's interesting is to think of um, where Therese was at this time. You know, she's very spiritually developed. Um, She completed this book. It took her about a year to write this manuscript. And she gave it to Mother Agnes on January 20th, 1896. And it's believed at the time she was writing it, she was in Sixth Mansion and then at the time of her act of merciful oblation, went into Seventh Mansion. So by the time she hands the manuscript over, she is a Seventh Mansion uh, dweller. And if some of you will recognize that language from Interior Castle of St. Teresa of Avila. So, um, and the reason why I bring that up is because I have this other book. I have to tell you all about it. In fact, I'll tell you the two big sources that we're using besides Story of a Soul. Now, Marika didn't have these. I had them. So... <laughs> But I want you to know about them, Uh, although one of them I think is out of print. This is the one that I think is out of print now. It's called Therese, the Little Child of God's Mercy, Her Spiritual Itinerary in the Light of Her Autobiographical Manuscripts. And it's by Angel de les Gavaras. Gavaras. That's what we're going to call it, Gavaras. All right. And the other one is by Joseph F. Schmidt, Um, Everything is Grace. And um, I just was reading about this particular event and Therese's life, and so they have much to offer on that. Now, Therese divided her life into three periods. That's correct. Yeah, she started, the first period goes from her birth until she was four and a half when her mother, Zelie, died. Right. And then she goes on, and she the second period covers um, from when she was nine, uh, from the death of her mother, um, no, nine years from the death of her mother through uh, her experience in boarding school, which she yeah, considers... I think it was nine years. Yeah, in nine length. years. Yeah. So from four and a half to you know um, thirteen and a yeah, almost fourteen. Yeah. Here. And the, and she considers those years in the boarding school is probably her saddest yeah. years in her life. Um, and she she really felt lost during this time. She was considered pretty delicate, mm-hmm. uh, very sensitive, uh, exceedingly tender-hearted. So the slightest things really caused her a lot of suffering. Um, and so then the last section um, of the book, it begins on December 25th, 1886, and onward. So she turns 14 on January 2nd in right. um, 1887. And so she refers to this Christmas as the grace of her conversion and the grace of her leaving that her, her childhood. Um, so there's a huge change in her, in her demeanor, her character, her personality, everything. Was, there's just a huge change. So this is situated between the saddest period of her life and then the best is yet to come, right? <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. And within a year and four months from the time she writes of this grace, um, or from the time this grace occurs, um, she enters Carmel at just the age of 15. Um, and that would be April of 1888. She wanted to enter the Christmas before on the anniversary of her Christmas miracle, um, but that wasn't to be. I mean, that was kind of another miracle. We hope we get to that. But let's let's go right to Midnight Mass on December 25th, 1886. What is happening? Therese, how does she describe the night? Okay. These are, these are her words. On that night of light began the third period of my life the most beautiful, and the most filled with graces from heaven. So this is, this is a key uh, pivotal point, you know, as, as Frances had said, you know, marking the, between the saddest years of her life and her most grace-filled. Um, and it's also that sixth mansion time. This is where Gaveras was pointing out that um, at, at this Christmas conversion, the famous story about the Christmas shoes, which we're going to get to, um, he asserts this as when she enters 
um, the sixth mansion, the betrothal, the mystical espousal that uh, St. Teresa of Avila writes. And so she's already gone through what John of the Cross would call the dark night of the sins. And now she is well into the dark night of the spirit, which is a deeper, deeper purification. Mm -hmm. And Um, God is very active in the soul at this time. That was another, another characteristic. So, and she causes the grace of her conversion, but that can be misleading. I mean, it's not like she was a great sinner, right? No, no, absolutely not. Um, so, but she is a, one of a virtuous person to the level of heroic virtue. So she right. was a virtuous person, but now God was taking her to a much higher level. Okay. Well, let's, let's, uh, hear you. If you wouldn't mind read about that, that night of the Christmas, um, conversion and her magic shoes as she describes it. Okay. So this is from manuscript a, and it's from the story of the soul, um, And as I said, we're beginning on page 152. So if you have it and you want to mark it, uh, it's about halfway down. This is the study edition, too. This is the study edition, correct. It was December 25th, 1886, that I received the grace of leaving my childhood. In a word, the grace of my complete conversion. We had come back from midnight mass when I had the happiness of receiving the strong and powerful God. Upon arriving at Les Boussonnets, I used to love to take my shoes from the chimney corner and examine the presents in them. This old custom had given us so much joy in our youth that Celine wanted to continue treating me as a baby since I was the youngest in the family. Papa had always loved to see my happiness and listen to my cries of delight as I drew each surprise from the magic shoes. And my dear king's gaiety increased my own happiness very much. However, Jesus desired to show me that I was to give up the defects of my childhood, and so he withdrew its innocent pleasures. He permitted Papa, tired out after midnight mass, to experience annoyance when seeing my shoes at the fireplace, and that he speak those words which pierced my heart. Well, fortunately, this will be the last year. I was going upstairs at the time to remove my hat, and Celine, knowing how sensitive I was, and seeing the tears already glistening in my eyes, wanted to cry too, for she loved me very much and understood my grief. She said, Oh, Therese, don't go downstairs. It would cause you too much grief to look at your slippers right now. But Therese was no longer the same. Jesus had changed her heart. Forcing back back my tears, I descended the stairs rapidly, controlling the pounding of my heart. I took the slippers and placed them in front of Papa and withdrew all the objects joyfully. I had the happy appearance of a queen, having regained her own cheerfulness. Papa was laughing. Celine believed it was all a dream. Fortunately, it was a sweet reality. Therese had discovered once again the strength of soul which she had lost at the age of four and a half, and she was to preserve it forever. Okay, so now let's focus in on a couple of points. First of all, the family is used to treating Therese as the baby. We all know what that's like, right? (laughs) I wasn't the baby of the family, but I I saw what was happening there. And that would include this custom of putting the the surprises in her shoes. And then, of course, ever since her mysterious illness when she was 10, you know, they they basically just walked around on eggshells. Have you ever walked around eggshells with somebody? You're afraid that whatever you say might set them off. It really, it makes life just miserable for everyone in the household because you, you're on, on a guarded stance and you can't be real. And, and if you can't be real, then, then it's almost a sta- it's like being in stagnant water. And I know the family was being loving, you know, and, and as charitable as they could be. But, you know, they didn't want to upset her because, you know, they didn't know what was had been wrong with her. And, yeah, and it's also enabling, too, because then it just continues the whole spiral of events. Right. Um, and then this was when she had that mysterious illness and then was healed by the mysterious smile of our, our Lady of the Smile, which is Our Lady of Victories. Well, and then Therese, of course, uh, wasn't used to doing housework or even combing her hair. I mean, she <laughs> she was not raised the way other little girls were. She didn't know how to play dolls so much and all of that. Um, however, on a spiritual venue, 
Yes, um, she found a lot of spiritual instructions uh, for her own life. She memorized Thomas Akempis's The Imitation of Christ. I just love that book. <laughs> so I can imagine, I mean, for her to memorize, that, that was an extra grace. Yeah, word exactly. Word for word to memorize the, the whole text. I mean, that's amazing. And when she went to the convent, they tested her on that. And she, she <laughs> flew by with colors, you know, aced that. Well, you know, God is acting in a hidden way on the interior of Therese. But on the outside, we have this very trivial event, um, which was precipitated unknowingly by her father's comment, which pierced her heart. You know, oh, you know, uh, so glad this is going to be the last year kind of thing. So he it's doesn't almost, even know that she heard it, you know. You know, it's almost like an eye-opening thing. I'm sure we've all experienced a comment by someone. Maybe they didn't realize we heard it, but it's exactly that comment that wakes us up to something or helps us to see something that we didn't care to look at. And, of course, he didn't know she heard it, and he, he wouldn't have meant if she had heard it. He wasn't meaning to pierce her heart, but Correct. that's how she described it. It pierced her heart. So we know it was big. And then we also noticed that this conversion moment um, was in relationship to her father, whom she called her king. And, um, you know, he's not even noticing uh, that it even happened. <laughs> he missed the whole thing. Celine is the only witness of this little uh, transfiguring moment, at least the way it was played out. Um, and uh, Celine is trying to talk her into not going down, you know, because she'll, she'll have so much grief. And that's the word that She's Therese to used. to spare her from that. Right, right. So uh, a trivial uh, uh, comment by the father, which would probably be uncharacteristic of Louis, you know, St. Louis, we know now. Um, but, you know, looking over our life, yeah. And uh, he was tired. I mean, we, we know that they came back from Midnight Mass. And he probably, you know, it didn't. he didn't think about maybe somebody being present that would hear. So, you know, he just said it. It just kind of came out of him. But yeah. it was meant to be that way. Yeah. And it's funny that, you know, Therese, she calls her father her beloved king. And he calls her his little queen. queen. So, you know, what he says, she takes to heart. And she said, this is the way she described herself before this Christmas Eve. She says, I was really unbearable because of my extreme touchiness. I began to cry again for having cried. So crying for having cried. Um, so, you know, she has a lot of self-knowledge. And yet she can't seem to conquer this fault. Right. And um, Celine understands her sister's sensitivity. And it's a very intense moment. But this is where... Um, Joseph Schmidt, who wrote the book, Everything is Grace, uh, this is what he thought. He said it was a, as if this moment her father had now abandoned her. And he said Therese had always succeeded in pleasing her father in the past. This time, however, she had failed, not by some sort of negligence on her part, but by simply being herself in the role as the baby, the youngest and the family. And you can't change that, right? So what do you think went through Therese's mind when she heard her father's comment and she came back down the stairs? Because there's not a lot of time that passed. Well, you know, you almost feel, you feel almost, I don't want to say use the word betrayal here, but um, there's a realization that happens, your relationship with your parents in that situation. And what she thought was how things were is not how things really are. And so now begins another another chapter in her relationship with her father. Um, she She's going to have to do some thinking about this. Well, I think that she heard it and she realized she was different now. Yeah. Because she says in her own words, Jesus had changed her heart. And that's past tense. So that means a change occurred Earlier. before this moment. So when when might that <laughs> have happened? That was mass. It, that it was, was at midnight absolutely mass. Absolutely at mass. And I can, I can say that, you know, when you go to mass and you're really prepared for mass, God is working in your heart. <laughs> right. In, in so many different ways. And for her, this was a really big miracle moment. That was a special gift from Jesus when he came to her that Christmas, he came to her in a, in a way that was life-changing. And it was a painful moment for her. But guess what? She looks right to the Lord right mm -hmm. away. And how often do we not even look at the Lord when we're in pain? We just look at how wounded we Lord are me. or how angry <laughs> we are at somebody else, you know. Why but, am I like this? <laughs> yeah, but 
But Therese is, is she's acknowledging that God permitted her father to say these words, whereas we would probably just say, you know, boy, he was grouchy <laughs> or something. Um, but Therese is already seeing God, and she says, Pop, Papa's permitted, tired out after midnight mass to experience annoyance. And then um, she goes on uh, saying that, uh, you know, uh, she's crediting Jesus with these words. And I, I couldn't help but think of the passion of Christ and that piercing of, of his heart. But, you know, she reaches this pivotal point. Um, you know, she can react to these hurt feelings uh, like she always has, like the baby, the family. And, you know, we we send, we tend to fall into these stereotypes even within our families. This is your role. You're the baby. You're the oldest kid of the family. This is your role. But she breaks out of it on this moment. And, um, you know, I, I can't help but think there was a time um, when her uncle was talking to uh, Therese about her mother. And he, he basically said, Therese, you're too soft-hearted. You need a lot of diversions, a lot of distraction. And it was soon after that, immediately after that, that comment from her uncle where she got that mysterious nervous illness. So you wonder if, you know, you know she's hearing this about having to grow up too tender-hearted and she can't make it happen and, and how she's fighting. But now she says Jesus had changed her heart. Not that she had changed her heart, but that Jesus had changed her heart. And we know, like you said, um, by giving her his heart in the Eucharist. And he's only a child of one hour. Now that's something to ponder. Here we have this communion. It's a kiss of union, a kiss of peace. Jesus brings her his everlasting peace, a peace so deep that nothing will ever disturb it again. And she said, she had the happiness of receiving the strong and powerful God. So I ask you, all of you who know Therese and her story of the soul, did her conversion happen in that stairwell when she was walking by Celine? Or did it happen when she received Jesus in the Eucharist? I think it happened during the Eucharist. I'm with you, Marika. <laughs> yeah, a mass, is, mass is grace. So if you can go to Mass... Go to daily mass. <laughs> well, and, you know, this is her coming of age moment. Uh, from this moment on, she's determined. She's got self-possession, balance, strength of soul, maturity. Uh, if you compare the pictures before that Christmas, when she was like 13 and a half, to when she's 15, and you could, you just see the difference in her. Well, well Joseph's... her focus was changed, I think. Yeah. For, for, for me, when I look at this, I just uh, I just look at the fact that her eyes were put totally on Christ. Whereas right. before they were all over the place, sometimes looking at Christ, sometimes looking at herself, sometimes looking at others, um, kind of like the mishmash in the kaleidoscope, but now coming to into full focus and she's seeing just Christ. Right. And this grace, this, she felt this grace enter into her soul. And, and I think it was in the form of power, courage, and love. That's what um, Mr. Schmidt had written there. He said, Therese had gained a sense of herself that detached her from her feelings of neediness and that Therese had been falling into the compulsion of codependency, of allowing her identity to be established by others, of compromising her true self. So um, I was like, really? Wow. Um, anyway, we have much more to, to talk about, but we're going to take uh, a little bit of a break here. And when we come back, we have so much more to share. So we hope you'll be back with us in just a few minutes. Thank you.
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to our program, Carmelite Conversations with Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. I'm here with Marika Zimmerin, and we are talking about the Christmas grace and epiphany of St. Therese, the Little Flower. And, you know, up until the Christmas miracle, Therese had been helpless in this grip of intense feelings. And, you know, all of her 10 years of efforts in trying to overcome this sensitivity that she had had been futile. And so, I, you know, what were some of the sources for some of these deep-seated feelings? Okay, so we have we have a few to look at. Uh, first, we have the death of her mother. Right. That was very, very pivotal. Four and a half and years old. Just a little one. Um, then we have the separation anxiety of Pauline and Marie. Uh, they were leaving for the for the convent, and then there's this sense of betrayal. I mean, these yeah. were her older sisters, you know, and she looked up to them, and, and she... Second took, mother. <laughs> second mothers, exactly. And now they're gone. So there's this betrayal going on in her heart. Um, then we have the mysterious nervous disorder at the age of 10. Right. And then we have the doubts about her miraculous healing of yeah. Our Lady of the Smile. Yeah. Did she really smile? <laughs> yeah. You know, and you go, then you start wondering, and did this really happen? And then you start playing these games in your head. So then scrupulosity on top of that, which compounds all of these things. Right. Um, so the truth of the situation was so critical to Therese. Uh, she was convicted in the need to complete truth. So no doubt she was influenced by her um, reading of Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. Right. And so truth. Truth. Um, you know, God is truth. Yes. So that's very important. Um, so she's having to confront her sorrows and her lack of courage in overcoming all of this. And, um, you know, Joseph Smith writes that Therese was pleasing her father, but not because she needed to please him to make herself feel connected and good. She was pleasing him now because the depths of her true self with a deepened sense of inner freedom, she could act in whatever compassionate, creative, and free way she was called to. And pleasing her father was exactly what, on this Christmas night, she was called to do and wanted to do. So she could leave behind her own needs and accommodate her father as he needed to be accommodated and supported. This was a very mature and pure love. This was the way Jesus loves, and she's living it out. Yeah, and so she's never going to walk again at, um in the way that she was, uh, walk on this path of accommodating others at the expense of her true self. Right. And that's a very, very important point because she's now free to do what she should do. But, but I remember one of my old spiritual directors said at one time, he says, you're only free to do something when you're free not to do something. Uh And I remember thinking about that. And this is exactly what's going on with Therese Mm -hmm. here. And this is why, um, she's now growing leaps and bounds. Um, I think Schmidt wrote that she would never please others because in a self-indulgent way, she needed to please them for her own sense of security, which a lot of people do, or because she needed to feel close or for fear of separation. Now she would accommodate others in a spirit of freedom and creativity, and it's an expression of real love. In pleasing others, she would never again act in violence to her own integrity. So be true to yourself. Yes. Be real. <laughs> be who, you, who God made you to be in God's image and likeness, right? All right. Well, and I know there was a time when she uh, pretended she had a, well, she had headaches a lot, but she had a cousin who got a lot of attention for crying about her headaches. So Therese decided to imitate her one day and got no sympathy. And Therese is like, well, that didn't work. Why didn't that work for me? It worked for her. But she said, no, she was not going to do that anymore. But anyway, well, let's go into um, this Christmas miracle moment and see what Therese says uh, as she describes this Christmas conversion. Um, And this is actually the paragraph before the story of the Christmas shoes and the paragraph after. And in this um, edition, uh, they put in italics the words that uh, Therese italicized or that she had underlined. So we know what was the important words for her. And we're going to come back to those. But um, Marika, if you wouldn't mind um, reading a little bit of that for us right now. Okay. So this is again taken from manuscript A. We're still on the pages of 152 and 153, but I'm going to split the paragraph reading um, because I'm taking it from the beginning and the end. 
It says, God would have to work a little miracle to make me grow up in an instant. And this miracle he performed on that unforgettable Christmas day, on that luminous night which shed such light on the delights of the Holy Trinity. Jesus, the gentle little child of only one hour, changed the night of my soul into rays of light. On that night he made himself subject to weakness and suffering for love of me. He made me strong and courageous, arming me with his weapons. Since that night, I never have never been de defeated in any combat, but rather walked from victory to victory, beginning, so to speak, to run as a giant. The source of my tears were dried up and has since, and has since reopened rarely and with great difficulty. This justified what was often said of me. You cry so much during your childhood, you'll no longer have tears to shed later on. <laughs> They're all dried up. <laughs> on that night, on that night of light, began the third period of my life, the most beautiful and the most filled with graces from heaven. The work I had been unable to do in ten years was done by Jesus in one instant, contenting himself with my goodwill, which was never lacking. I could say to him, like his apostles, Master, I fished all night and caught nothing. More merciful to me than he was to his disciples, Jesus took the net himself, cast it, and drew it in filled with fish. He made me a fisher of souls. I experienced a great desire to work for the conversion of sinners, a desire I hadn't felt so intensely before. Okay, so I think these two paragraphs frame the Christmas conversion story Correct. from a spiritual uh, aspect. And so I want to focus on the words that she focused on, the ones that are italicized in our edition, which she would have underlined. And the first one was from Luminous Night, and she um, underlined the word night. And isn't it... Um, how we approach Christmas, that it's the mystery of the night, that midnight hour in Jesus is born and his light pierces the darkness. I'll never forget one of my friends telling me when the light pierces the darkness, all hell will shudder. And I have <laughs> pondered that statement for years and it's still so potent, so true. So a luminous, so luminous meaning light, but night. So um, there's a mystery here. And yet, Light, because God is light. Um, and then the second word she italicized was little. Little child of only one hour. Little. So, you know, not the grown-up Jesus, not the teenager Jesus, but the little one. He's one hour old. He's gentle. He's little. He's weak. He's suffering. There's no strength. Those That sounds like the attributes of the, the little way of spiritual childhood, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> just the child right. just being. And, and to think in this one hour old Jesus is the kernel in which our whole redemption lie. You know, it, it's right there. And so this grace that's given in this moment at midnight mass in the one hour old Jesus, you know, it, it's as if Therese now is to become an, an expression of the love of the one-hour-old Jesus loving his father. Now, how can he do that? Um, through his hiddenness, through his self-sacrificialness, his tenderness, his trust, his abandonment. You know, he has to he has to trust that the Blessed Mother and Joseph are going to take care of him, right? Um, so I, I just pondered the richness of how the seeds of her little way are planted in this very moment. Uh, so we go on to rays or the torrents of light. What does that tell you? Okay, so we are now um, talking about the torrents of light. Did you want to read that scripture passage for our, our listeners? Go ahead. Okay, um, this is taken from 1 John uh, chapter 1, and it starts on verse 5, I believe. And God is light. Now this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Mm. And that just really uh, focuses uh, that. And, you know, when I think of rays or torrents of life, depending on which edition you read, uh, I think of those rays of the sun that you see breaking through the clouds. And it always reminds me of God's grace coming through on earth, you know. Um, so that's what I'm thinking of, these sunbursts, you know. But then she goes on and she talks about night, weakness, and night of mystery, hiddenness. So, you know, she's... She's like, Jesus, she says, Jesus makes himself 
subject to weakness and suffering. Why? For love of her. And then so she personalizes this now. She says it's not for humanity. She says it's for her. So she understands that, it, that you know, Jesus is allowing himself to be str- weak so that he would make her wit- what? Strong and courageous. Um, and so he gives her his gifts and he takes on her weakness. And then she says he clothes her with his weapons. Now, I have to comment on this because I read this from Schmidt, so you wouldn't have read that. But um, Joseph Schmidt said in his book, what were these weapons that Jesus clothes her with? And um, he said it was the weapons of God's own spirit, truth, freedom, and peace. Yeah, truth, freedom, and peace. All right. Now, um, since that night, uh, she said, I've never been before defeated in any other battle. Yeah, but she's going to walk from victory to victory, beginning, so to speak, to run as a giant. Um, wasn't that prophecy fulfilled? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this, isn't this the part where, you know, God is bending down? Yes. In his love. He's stooping and, down. <laughs> yes. And, and there, that's, that's that scripture passage that says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Yes. And, I, and I think about that because she was, you know, little. She let herself be even more little. She learned that from the manger. She lo- she saw our king, our savior, uh-huh. in, in in the manger, an hour old. And, and so here she is, and she's like, wow, God is so small, and yet there's such power. Right. And so that's, she's taking that. And so she is learning in that moment that there must be something um, of that power, of just that total surrender, you know, in just being you know, and allowing yourself to be in the hand of God. And when she runs as a giant, you know, she becomes a doctor of the church. <laughs> that's, that's a giant of a saint. <laughs> and, you know, when she had her first communion, she reflected back that that was the, the kiss of love. It was a fusion. So now we're even at a deeper potency. Um, and, and what I am amazed is, is that she says she was changed in an instant, you know, she, she'd been doing Somebody this, working on this on for 10, yeah, <laughs> 10 years. And then the light click <laughs> and all of a sudden she sees that she's been changed. And, and that's the beauty of it is that she recognized it. Right. I mean, there's change happening in each one of us spiritually. But do we recognize those moments of grace when God is doing something? Well, that leads right into what are some of the lessons we can learn from this um, on this night of light? What would you say? Um, oh, lessons learned. Yeah, the lessons learned on this night of light. Well, first she came to a fuller, to a personal fuller understanding of God. Right. uh, Who would supply for her weakness. Now that's important. Yes. God will supply for our weakness. We just have to turn it over to him. How many times are we trying to do it ourselves? Right. And when we try to do it ourselves, what happens? We fall on our face. Yeah. Right. And yeah. she, she learned that in that moment that she didn't have to figure it out. Yeah. God is my strength, my rock, my exactly, salvation. <laughs> exactly. And then, okay, um, yeah. And then, so she experiences this divine call to forget herself and to please others in real charity. So this is not pleasing to win their approval. Mm-hmm. This is pleasing God because out of the love that God has poured in me, I am now so overflowing that my love pours out and I do it because of love, not because I, it's demanded. And I think this is, is where it begins to become for her heroic Correct. charity. Yes. Yeah. yes, that's true. And so she, uh, going on with some of the lessons, she clearly recognizes that this spiritual growth is not the achievement of her own work. Yes. She'd been trying this for 10 years, um, and this was done by Jesus in one instant. And, and it really manifests God's power. I mean, our 10 years of work with one instant of the baby Jesus, one hour old. So, but what does she say that God needed? Only, not her works, only her goodwill. That's what she needed to give him. And she, she said, God was contenting himself with my goodwill, which was never lacking and her sisters of course uh, attested to that and Mix- that's and that's true because our will 
is is the greatest gift God gives us, our free will to choose. Right. And yet, our, what do we learn from our blessed mother? She Her will was to do God's will. And right. she chose correctly. And so that choice is given to each person. And so Therese understood that very, very early on. And, and that's that's what makes her such a, a beautiful witness and an example for us and why she became a doctor of the church, because she set such a beautiful example and attainable Right. It's attainable in for an all ordinary of us. life, led, led extraordinarily from the heart. But you know, this makes me ponder anew the importance of our goodwill. So when I was at Mass and we're praying the Gloria, you know, we say, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. Good yes. How important this is. And um, well, that's the purity of your intention. Yeah. Because God reads the heart of every soul. And so you can put on you know, the facade of, you know, looking pious and holy, but God really sees the inner working. And it's that purity of intent that really has the power to move mountains in prayer. Right. And we know she's no longer paralyzed now by the excessive sensitivity that is beyond behind her. Now she has been given holy boldness (laughs) and, and unflinching zeal, I would say. Um, and she also recognized, I think this is important, the impotence of human virtue in respect to the goal of perfection. You know, we can work and work and work, but we all know, having read Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross, that we must allow God to take over. We can only go so far. God must take over and purify those depths. We cannot reach those depths. Only God can do that. So as we grow spiritually, we become more passive and open to God and God becomes more active in our souls. So that's very important spiritual lesson here. And she says more merciful to me than he was to his disciples. So she's she's upping the ante of his mercy. It's like, you know, you didn't even you didn't tell me to cast the net. You did it for me. And I I marvel because in her prayer, um, the oblation to merciful love, she says in there, there was one line where she says, Jesus, be yourself my sanctity. And I'm like, yeah, where did she get that from? She got it from this Christmas miracle because Jesus took the net himself and cast it. I was like, Wow. And she never forgot that. And it just that came out in an epiphany the rest of her life playing out over and over and over again. And this is how she kept going littler and weaker and smaller and more abandoned and more trusting. This is how she could do it. And this, this kind of reminds me of a, a small child, you know, when they're trying to do something and the parent comes along and takes their hands and yeah. does it with them or yeah. for them and says, you and then all of a sudden it like clicks and everything falls into place. I mean, that's that's the, the beauty of, of how she expresses um, these teachings of Christ, you know, and makes it very, very palatable for, for us. Right. And she also had a great desire now to be a fisher of souls. Can you tell us a little bit oh, yeah, about yeah, th- these desires? Was, yeah. Um, you know, this, this strength um, of the soul that that she had lost early on, it was renewed in her. Right. Um, and so now, but now it had a different, it had taken on a different um, type of characteristic in, in said it was an all encompassing. It wasn't just partial. It was all, and, and it was, it was for, it was to stay with her forever. And know. I think it was apostolic. Yes. I mean, very. I mean, Pranzini, we think of yes, Pranzini, the, the criminal, her first, first child, one, her first, her first <laughs> spiritual child. Um, yeah. And that, that was heroic virtue. She had no way of knowing, right. you know, that, that things would work out the way she was praying, but there was that trust. She had this trust and she had this deep faith. Um, and she and, prayed and she prayed and she, she just, she just stuck in it. And, and the thing is in it for us to take away from this is that we may not see the outcome of our prayers. We may not see what God is doing with our prayers, but we have to walk with that full confidence that I prayed for this person and I'm trusting God is doing the best for this person right now. And then just let it go. Right. And, and she realizes that the true desires, um, that, that come from God are, are desires that, you know, are not unrealizable. And she has this desire to be a great saint. And she realizes that God wouldn't put that desire in her heart if he didn't want to make it happen. Correct. But she has to cooperate with him. (laughs) That's right. And, And how many times God puts desires on our heart. Right. Um, and sometimes we ignore them. 
because we're we're unsure where they came from, or sometimes we think we know better, and so we walk by. Right. <laughs> but it's like God keeps coming back, and He keeps revisiting those same things. But she she embraced it, and she knew there was that full confidence that that grace that came to her in understanding that this is what God wanted for her. Yeah, and she really began to run as a giant from one battle to the next. And and I can't help but think that this grace catapulted Therese. Um, her love for her human father is now catapulted into the realm of the supernatural, a, a divine echo. That's the way I call it. A divine echo of the love that the infant Jesus has for the father in heaven. And, and, and I, and I just think the rest of Therese's life is manifesting, living out this one hour old Jesus in that little way of spiritual childhood, which wasn't full of, you know, phenomena, deep theology. Yeah. There was no levitating (laughs) here. There was no, uh, you know, uh, some of the, you know, the stigmata there were, there was none of, you know, because God uses those in a certain way. But for her, hers was the ordinary way of a little infant and, and doable by all of us. And, and it that's... was the natural progression of grace for a soul to grow in this kind of love. And that's very, very inviting for most people um, mm-hmm. because when you see a small child, it's non-threatening. A baby is not threatened. Well, I should say normal circumstances. A baby right. is not threatening. Um, it's it's something that all of us can embrace. and. There, there's just something about that that draws the soul in. Right. Well, we only have a few minutes, and I want us to touch on this last point, that even after her epiphany of this first Christmas miracle, where she, you know, uh, had her first child, Pranzini, and saved his soul through all those prayers because he kissed the cross when he was uh, being uh, decapitated for his criminal behavior, um, there was another Christmas grace the following Christmas. And, you know, she's wanting to get in the convent by, the, you know, on the anniversary. And it's getting closer and closer to December 25th, 1887. And it's not happening. Now what? <laughs> Okay, so we know that Therese wanted to enter this this Carmelite convent by the anniversary of her conversion. Hope against hope. hope. Yep. Yep. So this was a very great disappointment for her because it didn't happen. So yet it was not to be. And she said that Jesus was asleep in the manger. Wow. Her broken heart was like the toy remaining on the ground. Remembering that little ball story? Yes. Yes. So he does not seem to cast a glance anymore. So here is God testing her goodwill even further, stretching the boundaries of her soul, expanding her heart as St. Therese of Avila would say. So Therese said of this period, I beg Jesus to break my bonds. And he broke the, he broke the bonds. Yeah. (laughs) But, but in a way totally different than what she expected. Yeah. So this is where many would say, be careful of what you pray for. How many (laughs) times, you know, you you say, I I want this, I want this, but be careful when you pray because God has a different way than the way that we have. Yeah. So, so she was purified. Her bonds were broken. Uh, the bond of her own will was broken. Uh, so she did not go in when she thought she would go in. But, she, you know, she comes back and says that this trial was a very great time. It was a great for her faith. She said, but the one whose heart watches even when he sleeps made me understand that to those whose faith is like a mustard seed, he grants miracles and moves mountains in order to strengthen such a small faith. But for his intimate friends, for his mother and I'm sure she's including herself here, he doesn't work any miracles before having tested their faith. So she, and even on her deathbed, she is saying that they're challenging her faith. How far can they push her faith? And um, she stays faithful all the time. It's just an amazing grace. So she eventually gets in in April, I believe, of 1888. And um, so there we see uh, that grace of Christmas, of breaking her own will. So, so how does she prepare she mortifies herself, um, and she uh, says, My mortifications consisted in breaking my will, which was also ready to impose itself. So great, great self-knowledge there. And how'd she do it? By holding back a reply, rendering little services without any recognition, not leaning back on the seat of her chair, hidden ways, <laughs> like the little child, Jesus. So nobody expected uh, what she was doing uh, in her heart and her soul and what God was doing and how she was responding. It was just just amazing to study this little saint, isn't it? And it's good that we have something to study. 
<laughs> right. And we, I'm glad we've got these other authors to help us learn all these things. So um, I, I want to thank you, Marika, for coming on and talking about all these things that we can learn from this Christmas grace um, and the revealing, the epiphany of the grace of God um, in Therese on that fateful Christmas Eve and how it played out and how we are blessed. We're all benefiting from her. And even as we celebrate today, her well, birthday. And, and it was it was good in preparing for this program because it was the time leading up to Christmas. So I had an opportunity to take this and, and to just kind of use it as as um, a stepping stone for what God was doing in my life and my family's life and the people in our community. And so for each one of us, there's something to take away from from this little lesson that that Therese shares about her her miracle. Well, I thank you for coming on our program. I hope to have you back many more times always a pleasure francis all right <laughs> and i want everybody there to know that on next monday night january 9th we're going to be talking with author and poet sally reed she's going to be calling in from rome telling us about her epiphany her conversion story and how the carmelites influenced her especially the great poet john of the cross so i hope you'll tune in with us next week meanwhile until then um i, I have this little closing prayer let's just pray together Together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. O oh Lord, your greatness is unfathomable. Enable me to adore you and love you in a manner worthy of your infinite majesty. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. We look forward to being with you throughout the new year. Until then, God bless you.